Good morning. Hope you guys are staying warm. Isn't that a fun thing to say? I know, who knew? In Arizona, we could actually utter those words. I'm excited about it. A few weeks ago, I woke up just like any other day. And when I wake up in the morning, one of the first things I think is like, I should go make coffee because I'm now hardwired that way. Many of you are probably the same. I get up, I go make coffee and my oldest daughter stumbles out of bed and she comes walking into the other room, like super groggy, you know, like a zombie and walks up to me and she just gives me a big hug and she goes, dad, I really love you and I hope you have a great day. And I went, you know, like, like, and I recognize that moment's not gonna happen always. Like there's gonna come some moments where she's gonna be like, dad, why do you exist? And you know, those types of things. So there's just a piece where I'm like, I'm gonna soak this up. Like I'm gonna take all of this in. This is like a beautiful thing right now. And I loved it. And then I got ready and I got my car. I'd been listening to a podcast and they hadn't released a new episode of this podcast in, in a while. And I got my car, turned on my phone, plugged it in and it said, new episode of this podcast is available. And I was like, yes, all right, cool. So I started listening to that and I'm driving to work and I'm like, this is great. You know, having a great day. It's awesome. This, you know, it, it's all kind of happening. And then I get to work and there's a meeting I'm supposed to go to and I go to it and the person's sick. And so I'm, it's canceled. And I know that's not great, but what it also means is I suddenly have lots of time to do things I don't ordinarily get to do. Many of you who go to lots of meetings, you understand this. And so I was like, all right, cool. So I sat down and I worked on some stuff and I, I studied and researched and mapped out a future sermon series that potentially we can do. And I, I replied to some emails and some different things. And I, I wrote this document out for all of that. And I, it was great. And I felt like, wow, what a productive morning. You know what I mean? That's awesome. And I go to my next meeting and walk into that. And, and there's some tensions and some issues that we need to work through, but we, we do a really good job with that. We create some plans for the future. And you know what happens throughout the course of that meeting? We were laughing. We're actually having a good time, which is kind of a gift in a lot of those types of moments. And I'm like, wow, all right, sweet. And then I go to my next meeting. You're like, you're in a lot of meetings. I know. I go to my next meeting and I walk in and the person looks at me and they go, Hey, Ryan, I have some questions about that series you talked about maybe us doing. And I said, oh yeah, I just worked on that today and actually got a ton done. Let me go grab my laptop, get my laptop, walk back into the room and I open the laptop. And do you ever have that moment where you didn't save and it's gone? And I was just like, yeah, I forgot to save it. And then I just did my best to recall everything that I'd worked on from memory in that particular moment. And I'm suddenly frustrated and all these things and finish that moment. I go to my final and last meeting for the day and I walk in and not everybody's there yet. The person sitting in the room goes, hey, Ryan, how's your day going? And I went, oh man, today's been terrible. I know you laugh. You know why you laugh is because what I just said is nonsense. I know, and, and I want to acknowledge it. What I just said was nonsensical. It doesn't make any sense. And I, I looked at the person, I said, oh, today's been terrible. I, I've been, you know, I, I worked on some stuff today and mapped out this whole thing for the sermon series. And then I forgot to, you know, save it and I erased the whole thing. So it's been a pretty bad day. That's nonsense. Here's why. And I get it. Like, and many of you are like, no, I, I understand. I've been there. I felt that way before. I've experienced that type of moment. Here's why it's nonsense. I've been awake for about 12 hours of the day by that point. I had experienced 11 fantastic hours of my day, all kinds of good things. And I had even, I've left out a ton of good things that actually happened along the way with that, that I haven't shared with you. But one hour happens where one singular moment occurs where something bad occurs. And the next thing you know, I look and I'm like, this whole day is terrible. And when I go to even look back on how the, day, the events of the day unfolded, I'm like, yeah, it was bad. No, this is just really hard. I get home that day and my wife's like, how was your day? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk about it. And it's like, what just happened? Like that doesn't make any sense. 
But it does, and the reason it makes sense is because how many of us have experienced this? How many of us have found ourselves in a moment where like everything's going along swimmingly, so to speak, and then all of a sudden one singular instance happened, one moment happens, and because that one moment happens, everything feels like it's ruined, like it toppled over or something, or now it's like you, you put on a different set of lenses to look at your life with, and you're like, this is a really bad day. It happens just like that, and it happens to us all the time. Why is that? The data points in the opposite direction. 11 out of 12 hours were great. One hour wasn't. Why do we do this? Why do all of us experience this? And that's the truth. All of us experience this in some facet. And here's why. God made you this way. It's gonna be weird to think about, but God actually made you this way. It's because each of us as human beings were created with something called a negativity bias. Right? It's a neuroscience psychological term, I know. But it, it's, it's true. This is empirically verified and researched over lots and lots of time. Each of us have biases. One of the biases that's hardcore, biologically wired within us is something called a negativity bias. Now I'm going to put the definition for negativity virus, or virus bias up on the screen. But here's the short and sweet of it. A negativity bias is a term that's used to describe this human tendency that God made us with each of us to apply greater focus and memory towards situations that we see as harmful or as unpleasant to us than we do situations that are positive or beneficial. All that means is we are hardwired to scan for negative events that may pose a specific threat or be unpleasant to us than we are to recognize and to take in and to remember positive things. And we actually see this, we experience this, but this is also, there's a ton of research over the span of like 60, 70 years on all of this stuff. If you hook a person up to a brain scan, right? Or you do like an fMRI or something like that. These instruments, what, what ends up happening is, is you can see which parts of the brain activate and with what level of intensity and energy. If you hook a person up to a, a you know, fMRI brain imaging machine and you show them images, some that are positive, some that are just neutral, kind of non-images, you know, whatever. And then some that are negative and you just keep showing them these things. Whenever the negative one happens, you will see the brain light up exponentially more and in greater ways throughout that where there's a ton of energy that gets expended there. You, you can actually see this happening live, but we also experience this. This is crazy from a developmental perspective, guys. This, this blew my mind. When you're one years old and two years old, as you're growing up, the average two-year-old, even two and a half-year-old right around there, has about the same amount of negative words as they do positive words. And they use them in about the same amount when describing why or what happened in a situation. Then three years old happens. And something occurs between that time of like, I don't know, up to three, where by the time a child's three years old, and this is off a huge study. 51% of children's begin, children begin using words that focus on distress when describing what, something, what happened and why something happened. And only 7.3% focus on something positive or desirable or good in that particular moment. We start to grow into this. We don't even realize that this is built into us. We're hardwired this way. And like I said, it's because God made us this way. Even for adults, we are far more likely to remember something negative and retain it for the long run than we are positive. And, and you know this, if you just pause for a moment, and I say, I want you to think of some of the terrible things that have happened to you. There's a whole list. You can recall a bunch of those things. Many of those things you can still remember in vivid detail. If I were to pause and ask you the same thing and go, but, but with positive and say, I want you to remember all the positive things that have happened to you. Many of those things you have forgotten along the way. There's some significant ones that you still hold. It's just far easier for us to forget the positive than it is to retain the negative. My wife is a teacher from a teaching standpoint. She's constantly told 
that you have to do five, you have to do at least five positive things to overcome one negative experience in the life of a child in this particular way. They know this, like this is just around us. The reason this happens is because we are each hardwired with a negativity bias. Bias, sorry. You may be hearing this being like, well, that's not good. No, this is really important, you guys. It's really important. There's a reason God made you this way. Here's why. It's because there are a lot of foods out there that are desirable that you can eat. There's only some foods that are poisonous and will kill you. You probably shouldn't eat those and you need to remember them. It's very important that you remember them. There's a piece too that you'll have like a, a negative or harmful instance occur to you. You need to remember that so that you don't repeat the same behavior in the future and thereby hurt yourself again. And if this still doesn't land with you, it is far more important for you to remember what a lion looks like than to remember all of the varieties of house cats. And it's because you don't want to end up as lunch, right? There's just a piece of this that's, it's biology. It's for your survival. This helps us not die and stay alive. It's very, very important. We are all hardwired and built in with the negativity or bias and God made us that way. But let's ask a question. See, the question that I want to ask is, one, let's acknowledge. So, okay, so having a negativity bias is normal for all of us as people, and it's really good, but does it make a good life? It helps us survive, but is it what God has for us as we move into our lives in some of the more meaningful ways? Does it help us in relating with him? Does it help us in connecting with one another? Does it help us live out the mission of Jesus Christ even in this church in some of these different ways? Well, sure, but also... What happens when a single hour and a single day ends up tipping the scales where the whole day is bad now? Is that good? Is that what we want? Is that what we think God wants for us? What happens when a bad moment takes over our perspective and causes us now to view our entire world as bad, or ourselves as bad, or a whole group of people as bad or negative in that particular regard? Is that good? Is that what we want? Is that what God ultimately has for us? What happens when we as Christians, because here we are in a church, right? We're not just look, learning about neuroscience. Here we are in a church as Christians seeking to follow Jesus Christ with our very lives and be a church that's a vibrant expression, the love of God to the world so that more and more people can know the good news and, and experience the fullness of life. Like we want great things. We want all of that. So here we are. We believe in a God who's alive and active and working and present. We believe that Jesus Christ is still moving and doing good things in this world and has things he wants to do in your life around us with people. What happens when we're constantly scanning for threats and all the other things, we're constantly paying attention to the negative and we keep missing what God is doing right here in front of us because we've let biological wiring take over. See, there's a piece in the scriptures and you see this again and again where God is challenging us to, to step even beyond just the basic ways that we're made, to look above and beyond that, to actually step into something deeper. This is why we talk about things like growth or spiritual formation or, or moving. Like it, we're not just settling for like a reptilian version of a human being. We wanna be something with soul and character and deeper. We want things. And so with all of that, I recognize that how many of us have, have related to some of these situations? How many of us as we talked about this go, yeah, that negativity bias, bias thing is real. I feel that, I see that. And you see it in your own personal life. Well, okay, let's look at culture because let's just pull in the context here for just a second. With all of that, given that we're biologically hardwired to look for the negative, how do you think several, several years now of a constant barrage of news headlines, global tensions, pandemic, 
racial tensions, uncertainty, and social and emotional struggles that have resulted with each of us in a very personal way, a couple of years of that stuff, how much do you think that might now impact our ability to see the good things that God is still doing around us? So many of us are conditioned at this particular moment to just keep scanning the horizon for threats, to keep looking for the things that could hurt us or the things that are against us. And God made us that way. I don't know that that's bad. There's a preservational side of that that's, that's really important. So it's not about like, turn that frown upside down and pretend like everything's fine. You'd hate that. I'm not giving that to you. It's not that. It's actually saying, if we get so fixed on that, if we let that wiring take over to so much, we actually start missing the fact that Christ is beautiful and alive and working in our midst even still. And that sometimes a little light shines the, bright, the brightest in the darkest of places. And that's for us. We're the church. See, we're here in the series called Cultivate. Week one, Glenn talked about planting your resources as part of a church. Glenn talked about planting your resources where you've planted your life. Let's all plant seeds together, whether that's our finances, our time, our energy, all of those things, because you can't reap what you don't sow. So let's sow great things together. And then week two, he came back and he talked about, and now because we're a church, let's all like tend to and nurture and nourish the seeds that others have planted. Let's all pour water on that field so that the things can grow. And a church can grow together what no individual can grow alone. I mean, that's a powerful thing. And then today they're like, Ryan, you're going to talk about the harvest. And I was like, yes. And then I thought, oh man, that's hard right now. See, I love celebration. I love joy. There's a part of me that like loves this topic and this thing, but... I also recognize right now it's really easy for a lot of us to miss the harvest. And it's because we're constantly scanning. And it's because we're constantly fixated on all these other things. And sometimes it causes us to miss the good that God's doing right here, right now in front of us. It's too easy to let negativity bias become our whole experience. It's too easy to focus on all we don't feel like is happening and on all we feel like is threatening and miss what God might wanna do through you, in you, what he might be cultivating in the person next to you, what he might be doing in the life of the person across the street from you. It's too easy to plant together and cultivate together and then just be like, we got to keep fighting the good fight, work harder, keep planting, keep cultivating, and then never pause to reap the harvest of what God is already growing from the seeds that have already been planted. That is a gift for me and for you. That is a gift for us to actually pause and be like, God, you are great and you're doing great things. Not so that we can be like, wow, we're amazing. No, these are the moments where God shows you his splendor and he shows you his goodness in a way that helps you go, man, I have so much energy to keep taking the next step in front of me because you love in a profound way. And I wanna see more. I wanna plant more. I wanna cultivate more. The harvest is a gift for us. We don't wanna miss it, friends. And can we be honest, maybe about our own lives for just a second. Do we not all need a little harvest celebration in our lives right now? Like, is that not a thing where we're just like, yes, that's a gift. And we need more of those moments. So let's be people who don't miss it. I think this is why way back in the beginning of your Bibles, in the third book of your Bibles, way back in the Old Testament, it's a book called Leviticus. You can turn to chapter 23. We're gonna spend our time there this morning. God sets up the Jewish calendar as he sets up the law. See, in the book of Leviticus, God is giving the people the law and he's doing this while they're traveling through the wilderness. They're based now at this place called Mount Sinai and they've left Egypt. They're moving towards the promised land and he's pulling them together and he's establishing them as a nation. And in that moment, he gives them a calendar more or less. He tells them, as you spend your time, your energy, and you look forward to your year, here are seven major festivals that I want you to celebrate. 
Here's seven major things. And these aren't just kind of like seven times throughout your year. Just pause and reflect. And that's for you. No, these are seven times where as a nation, I want you to halt what you're doing and engage in something special and specific. Three of those festivals, three of those feasts are harvest feasts, you guys. Out of seven, out of the entire calendar year and the seven things that will drive the people, will shape their experience for the year. Out of all seven of those, three of them are harvest feasts. One of them is called the Feast of Pentecost, and this is the one that we're going to focus on today from Leviticus chapter 23. They would have this moment where there was this thing called the Feast of First Fruits, right? And, and this, was, this was like the one right before Pentecost. And what would happen is you'd plant all the harvest, you'd plant all the, the grain into the ground, all these seeds, and it would start to grow. And the moment you could first harvest some of the crop, like most of it wasn't going to be ready, but some of it was a little early, you would go and you'd cut all that. That was called the first fruits. And then you would give that as an offering to God. And it was this sign, this symbol, where you were saying, God, this is what I have right now. And I don't know if the rest of this is going to shake out the way that I want, but I'm going to cut the first part of this out and I'm going to give it to you in trust that, you know what, you've provided, you'll continue to provide, and there's going to be a blessing even yet to come. And so they would celebrate the feast of first fruits, and then 50 days later, they would get to Pentecost. Leviticus 23, beginning at verse 15. It says, you shall count seven full weeks from the day after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheaf of the wave offering. That's a reference to the, to the feast of the first fruits. You shall count 50 days to the day after the seventh Sabbath, and then you shall present a grain offering of new grain to the Lord. God says, okay, so you're going to reap this big old harvest, all your fields and everything else is going to be grown. You're going to go harvest all of that, and then you're going to go and make an offering of this new grain. But it wasn't just new grain. If you keep reading the passage, what you'll see is that they would, there were bowls and goats and bread and drink offerings. And if you're looking, you're like, that's a lot of weird stuff. It, it just, it, it was the sign of bounty. It was this idea that all of this stuff that was really important had finally grown into fruition. God had blessed the people in such abundance that he's saying, let's get extravagant about this. Let's get lavish about the kind of party that we're about to throw in, about the kind of celebration that we're about to have. And so the people would, would worship. They would do this. And this was not, again, this like quiet moment. This wasn't like, well, that was for me. That's really good. Okay, I'm going to take that and just keep moving through my life. It's not. It was, do you see what God is doing? And all the people would come together. We read this, verse 21. Skip down 23, chapter 23, verse 21. God says, and you shall make a proclamation on the same day. Get loud about it, right? Not quiet, not meditative, not silent, not in the like, comfort of your own home. No, get loud about it. Make a proclamation on the same day. You shall hold a holy convocation. Next time you want to throw a party, call it that. It'll weird people out. A holy convocation. Like, let's have a party. Let's celebrate. And what do they say? You shall do no ordinary work. I know you're constantly scanning, distracted, focused, planting, cultivating, doing all the things. Pause. Don't do any other work. Just let the harvest be the harvest and let the celebration be the celebration. And he says, it is a statute forever in all your dwelling places throughout all of your generations. God says, do this every year. How often? Every year. For how long? Forever. Whenever God says forever, there's a part of it where we should go, I think he probably cares about something here. I think this probably isn't just like a momentary thing with God's where he's like, you know, my heart's kind of like this right now, but like new covenant, new Testament, it's going to change. When he says forever, I think he means forever. There's something in this where we get to see God cares about the harvest for people who live in the year 2021. God cares about 
the harvest, the good things that he is doing and our ability to see those, reap those and celebrate them together. So important. And it's a huge part of his heart. You know what I think is really interesting? Leviticus is a little bit of a dry book. If you've ever studied through Leviticus, a lot of us pretends that like it's riveting. It's just, it's a lot of stuff condensed into like laws and rules and things. And so there's a lot of intricate study to this. It's a pretty dry book. But you know, when you step back and you think about when Leviticus was written and the context that it was in and given to the people, it's a little crazy. Can you imagine being the people and hearing this? Do you know where they were at? They weren't in the promised land. That's where I would want this given to me. God led us to the promised land that he'd promised for us where there's bounty. He called it a land of milk and honey, which means everything grows and everything's amazing. And we finally get there and we're like, let's go plant some things so we can start doing awesome. And then I would imagine God going, wait, 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 before you go, like pause, let's have a little conversation about how this should go. He doesn't. The base of Mount Sinai in the middle of the desert, halfway between where they're escaping from and where they hope they're going, but aren't sure how it's going to go. In the middle of all their struggles and tensions and unknowns and walking through, journeying through the desert when they haven't even formed themselves fully yet. In the middle of all of that, God looks at them and he says, and I want you when you go to harvest your crops to throw a massive party, stop focusing on everything else and celebrate together. Be a part of just celebrating these things together. Don't you think that's a little weird? You know, I'm just speculating here to wonder why he did that. But you know, I wonder if it's because it's in the times that we're in the desert of life, so to speak, that we need, we need to harvest the most. It's actually in the times when you're struggling to take the next step in front of you. It's in the times when you're having hardship. It's in the times where things are going really tough and you kind of forget what all of this other stuff looks like that it's most important to actually pause and go, wow, I saw what God did there and that was good. And I'm gonna celebrate that. And I want some people with me to celebrate that same thing because it puts wind in your sails and it refills your spirit. It doesn't take your problems away and it doesn't repaint the desert landscape. But the way you live in it's differently. A person who lives with hope and a sense of, of encouragement that God is moving and working is a powerful thing, friends. I think there's good reason he does this here. And then we get to the New Testament. There's the beginning of the book of Acts, right at the beginning of the book, something extraordinary happens. This is in like end of chapter one, rolling into chapter two. This is an amazing moment where Jesus has come, he's been born, he's lived, he's died, he's risen again. And then he appeared to his followers and he said, in light of all the things that I've taught you and shown you, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the ends of the earth and make disciples of every nation. And I want you to just keep taking these good things to other people. I want you to do that. And then he leaves, meaning in bodily form, he's no longer just in their midst in that same type of way. And they all kind of freak out. This is a hard moment. This is like being stuck between where they've come from and where they're now going. And they band together and they pray in an upper room in the middle of Jerusalem and they don't know what to do next. And this is hard. And then the Bible says that the spirit of God descended upon them and they're filled with this sense of message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they walk out into Jerusalem and the city is absolutely packed with people. And they begin to preach the gospel of Jesus. They tell everyone the good news of Jesus. And it says that each person miraculously heard the message in their own native tongue. And on that day, 3,000 people were added to their number in terms of followers of Christ. This group of people who fit in a small room where they were hiding out suddenly becomes 3,000 strong. The church is born on that day. That's the beginning of the church. And do you know when that was? Pentecost. Do you know why all those people were gathered in Jerusalem on that particular day? 
because you didn't celebrate Pentecost by yourself in your house in your town. This is one of those festivals where everybody made their way to Jerusalem because that's where all the action was because the people of God should celebrate the things that God has done and is doing together in an extraordinary way. The whole reason this was possible is because Pentecost was happening and they'd all gathered. And while they were all there to celebrate a feast and to celebrate the harvest where God had grown seeds into full mature plants that they now get to consume and have for their year, God did a different kind of harvest in that particular moment where he transformed human hearts and began to plant seeds of love and grace and the compassion and the goodness of Jesus Christ as the gospel fully lived out that can make its way into the lives of others. That's why we as Christians now celebrate the same thing. That's what the Pentecost celebration is for us. Something extraordinary happened. What does that tell us? It tells us that way back when in the Old Testament and right at the beginning of the church and onward, God cares about the harvest and he wants us to celebrate the amazing things that he's doing together to see it and to celebrate it together. The the harvest right here and right now is for you. It's the first point I wanna make this morning. And I know that's really simple, but I just want you to hear it. The harvest right here and right now, it's for you. It is a gift for you. It is something that God has for you. And if you're like, no, it's about God, I know but he's growing those things to bless you and to bless others. And you get to reap the benefit of it. It is for you too. It's for you. Do you see it? Do you actually get to experience this? I want to ask you a question. I want you to really honestly ask yourself this same question. And it's this, when was the last time you paused and genuinely celebrated what God was doing? And I mean that. When was the last time something happened in your life that you looked and you're like, man, see what God was doing there. I think he's amazing. And you just paused to celebrate that. When was the last time you did that with somebody else? When was the last time we just took a breather of a moment to actually look and go, you know, there's a lot happening. There's a lot of things going on. And yet Christ is moving here. And man, that's powerful. And I see harvest happening there. And God is doing something incredible in the life of this person. Man, that's powerful. And I see harvest happening there. Or even in the smallest of things where you're like, they shouldn't have been as kind as they were and love shouldn't be as profound as it is. God is good. When was the last time you celebrated that? For many of us, we might look and we go, well, I do at Christmas and at Easter, and I'm excited about the season to come. And I would say, that's awesome. But that's us reflecting back on something that occurred 2000 years ago that's now deeply impacted our lives. The reality, and it's, it's super important not to minimize it at all, but the reality is God is alive. Like Jesus isn't in a grave someplace and he's moving and working through us, which means there's stuff happening. He has intention and goodness for your life, for this world, in your workplace, in your families, in our church, all around you. Good things are there because God is not dead. When was the last time we paused to just be like, can I see it even in the smallest of ways? And my heart just threw a little bit of party and I want to celebrate that with somebody. That's a gift for you. That puts fuel in your fire. That puts gas in your tank. That helps you step into the next moment in ways where you stop going, oh, we'll see what happens here. And you start stepping into the next moment where you go, let's see what God can do when I don't expect it and when I don't know. It changes things, friends, and it becomes a powerful way to live a life. I think it's what God has for us. Negativity bias helps us survive, but I think God wants something deeper and more profound for our actual lives. It's a gift. When was the last time we saw that? See, I I think a lot of us struggle with that. And I think we come by it really honestly because we're humans. (laughs) And I think also it's just been a harder season to do that. It seems like everything wants to kind of pull the other direction on some of this. So I want to ask you to do something really overtly. As people, especially as people who are part of this church, 
Can I ask you, will you practice with your daily lives? I don't just mean in this moment. Will you practice with your daily lives being a person who celebrates the harvest? And I know that might sound weird. You're like, no, I'll practice prayer and I'll read my Bible. No, those are great things. Also though, will you be a person who practices celebrating the harvest? This is important. Three of the seven feasts. Huge moment in the New Testament, the birth of the church, echoed by the heart of God over and over and over. Like, this is a huge thing, guys. Jesus referred to the kingdom of God being like a harvest. This is a big thing for us. Will you practice being a person who celebrates the harvest? If you don't know how to do that, let me give you a question to ask yourself, a way to engage this. But it needs a little context. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to experience a moment, and it might be huge, and that's great, or it might be really small. And normally what you do is you go, that's cool. Next. And then you'd leave that alone. In that moment, when you have just the slightest inkling where you're like, that was neat. That was cool. Oh, that was meaningful. Oh, I appreciate that. Oh, look what just happened. Like, I mean, even in the smallest of those moments, this is when the practice comes in. I want you to pause, like discipline yourself to go, wait, this is that moment. I would normally gloss over this. I'd normally just forget this thing right out of my brain as I was like, negative, 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 negative. And instead actually pause and go, wow. And then ask yourself this question, what did God just do? I, I know this seems really basic. This is huge. Pause, ask yourself the question, wait, what did God just do? I come home and my daughter comes to me and is like, dad, I love you and I hope you have an amazing day. I don't know if you've met most middle schoolers, but I was like, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Right? Like, that's amazing. And I was like, God, thank you so much for this person. And thank you for the way that you've crafted her and the way that you're growing her. And I thank you for all that, like, I'm getting to reap out of this. Man, you're good. And I wouldn't even know how good you are if I didn't have this experience and know just the depths of that thing. Right? Small moment, but is it? No, it's huge, guys. We've got to be better about opening our eyes to pause and see these things. And the reason why is because so many of us just don't see any of it. And then consequently, God is far away and it just feels like everything starts getting weird and distant and it's all about the planting and the struggle and the fighting. And that's real. There are moments that that happens and it's ongoing. It's not one or the other, but you need a little harvest in your life. You need a little celebration in your sails. <laughs> It's goodness. It's a gift for you. This is why we keep celebrating moments in this church. Like this is why it was such a big deal to get in front of all you guys and go, I'm so excited that 90 people got baptized at our baptism service. And it's not because that's a cool number. And it's not because we're like the most amazing church. There are other great and amazing churches and things out there. It's because God did something amazing. And we don't always get to see that happen. And we don't always get to stare it in the face and be like, well, you look at that. And when that happens, churches should come together and celebrate this stuff and go, man, that was meaningful. Why? Because we all got to go step out into situations and moments where instead of looking for the negative in front of us, we should be looking for what God's going to do in it. And that encourages us and it fills us. It's why I'm still celebrating how many people were on our campus for Fall Fest. And I'm doing that because we didn't, we weren't able to do this for like three years. That's a little bit of time to see all those people gathered together and then to see all of these partners that we work with in the community show up and to just recognize the greater story being told there about how when we partner with people to love others in extraordinary ways, God grows seeds that people have planted and we all get to do this together. That's exciting. And there's just a part of me that's not going like, Casas is amazing. No, I mean, I think you're great. I think we're great. But it's just, God is doing something so good. We should celebrate it. It's extraordinary. 
And I just, that's our heart. That's why even two weeks ago, a lot of you guys probably don't know this. Two weeks ago, a group of cyclists who that's their passion here from the church, they decided to go fix and repair bicycles in our local community for people that needed that so that people could get active and do some things together. And just as a sign to love people. And you're like, what's the big deal about bicycles? Well, I think it's a big deal when God so changes somebody's heart and life that they go, you know, I just want to tangibly love other people in whatever way that I possibly can. And if it's fixing a bike to declare that Christ loves someone, I'm going to go fix a bike. And I think that's an extraordinary harvest to reap in that particular moment that we should celebrate, not just be like, I don't like bikes. It's huge. And I think we miss this stuff. We overlook it so often. And yet it's there. What is God doing? What did he just do? Will you open your eyes? And when you see it, I, I honestly could keep going and going from the smallest of things to the largest of things. There's so many instances all around here. We keep sharing this because I just, we should be celebrating what God's doing. We need this in our lives. And I don't just mean this on a grand scale. Share with one another. We need you all to see what God is doing because I wanna see it through your eyes because the person next to you find, has, is gonna find themselves in moments where it's a little tougher and for you to be able to be like, I, let me tell you what I see. Sometimes we borrow that from other people to just be like, I'm in a really dry season of life and this is tough, but that meant a lot to me, thank you. I appreciate that. See, this matters. The harvest is for you, but it's not just for you. I don't want to just end there. There's still something in this Leviticus passage that's huge that I want us to see. Uh, and it's this, God makes sure that we recognize, sure, that the harvest is for us. It's a gift for us, but also that the harvest is for more than just us. The harvest is for more than just you. It's for more than just me. And he makes this really, really clear. Leviticus chapter 23, verse 22, the next verse there. And when you reap the harvest of your land, this is what God says to the people. And this is about the Pentecost festival. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner, which is another word for alien or traveler, for I am the Lord, your God. Which God ends that way as if to say, because I mean it, <laughs> right? Like this is what I want you to do. This isn't just one singular verse in the Old Testament. This is echoed three different times, this exact phrasing. And this, like, this is something God wanted for the people when they were in the midst of their harvest. So here's the deal. When the people would go out, right? They'd plant their seeds, they'd grow their fields. This whole big field would be grown. When they went out to harvest this thing, they would harvest almost all of it. And then they would leave the corners. By the time we get to Jesus day, scholars and rabbinic scholarship would estimate that about 8% of the total yield was in the corners. So they would harvest and leave behind 8% of their total yield. Now, I don't know if you're an economics or a math person, but in the end, that actually becomes pretty significant. 8% is quite a bit. And so they, they leave this piece and here's why they would do this. They would go harvest and if something fell on the ground, that's called the gleanings, they wouldn't reach down and be like, oh, I dropped that, pick it up. No, nope. once it fell, it was left there. And if, if the corners were unharvested, they go leave that because there are a bunch of people that didn't get to have a harvest that particular year. And the harvest was for everybody. And the celebration of the harvest was for everybody. Everybody needed a reason to celebrate. And so what ends up happening is God built this into their whole way of farming and agriculture that the poor could come and work and reap their own. They could harvest themselves and pick their gleanings up so that they might have something to celebrate and offer to during this time of year. It's significant. Now, there's a lot of implications that we could speak to about the heart of God in this particular moment. But as we've talked through this today, let me say it this way. I think that those of us in the church really need to do a good job at being people who practice looking for the moments where God is doing his best work. Looking for the moments where you go, I see what Jesus is doing there and I wanna celebrate this. 
and cultivating that. And the reason why is because there's something powerful about when each of us is able to look out and say, there's a field in front of me and I get to harvest this thing. And the reason why is because somebody around you is going to need that at some point. Life works in a certain way and you know this. Life works in a certain way where all of a sudden there are moments where I could be standing up here being like, let's celebrate the harvest. And you're like, no. <laughs> and it's not because you're mean and it's not because you're bad. It's because maybe that just feels like a million miles away from me right now. There are certain moments in life where you just struggle to see it, or maybe you're in the midst of pain or grief or whatever that might be. All these very normative human experiences that each of us go through and you find yourself looking out and you're like, he's telling me to celebrate a field and I can't even see my feet in front of me and I'm just having a hard time with this. And I just want you to know that's okay. Those are the moments where somebody next to you gets to lean over and go, it's okay. Come reap the corners of my field. Let me tell you what I see. Let me tell you what I'm watching God do and the way that that's impacting. And can I just share that? Can I pull you in? Can you see it through my eyes? Or maybe I can get you close enough you can see it through your own because it's happening in front of us both. See, it's huge. The harvest isn't just for you, it's for others too. It's why the second question, if you wanna practice these things, okay, so you say, what did God, what's God doing, right? What did I just see God do? Second question, who can join me? Too often we're like, what did I just see God do? Oh, that was good, thanks God. And there's like people all around us. Here's the proper response. I'm just going to tell you, that was good. Thanks, God. Hey, like, look, get over here. Hey, anything you've ever been really excited about where you just like, I'm just kind of privately excited. I don't tell anybody. Like some of us, most of you though, want to pull people into that because your excitement's contagious and you share that with other people. If you see God doing something absolutely extraordinary, who can join me? And I mean this, train yourself to ask that question. This is where you look up. The thing is happening and you go, that's happening. Get over here. Everybody, come look. Come see this thing. Because I don't want you to miss it because the harvest isn't just for me. I want to bless you too. This is doing something in me and a man. I want to show you. And I want to show you. And I want to pull us all into this experience and see it. But there's a third question because that second question doesn't go far enough. See, what's going to happen then is then the moment's over. And you're like, wow, that was an amazing moment. That was really good. And I'm glad we shared this together. And then we all tend to just walk away and be like, cool, thanks. After it's all over, I want you to ask yourself the question, who else needs this? Too often, we find ourselves in places where we experience something right in front of us. We see something amazing God's doing. And then we keep that to ourselves. And you know what we don't recognize? Those stories become powerful things in the lives of others. The stories that you experience have the ability to significantly impact all the people in this room in an extraordinary way and in your workplaces and in your homes. Too often, the reason we get stuck in negativity bias is because we just don't share the amazing stories of what God is doing in a way that can permeate. And so all we end up discussing, talking about, and focusing on is all of the negative, all of the hardship, all of the threat, all of the things. And it's real and it's there and I'm not minimizing any of that stuff. We need both. I got to experience this in a really profound way. Rather than just keep explaining this, which I could do for days, I want to show you what I mean. This last week, I was in my office, and, uh, or in, in an office having a meeting, and I heard Josh Kemp. He's our, uh, he's our principal here at the school. Many of you actually know him as a worship leader, and you get to hear from him in this context that way. Uh, but he's our principal, and I heard him walking through the offices, and he's excited. 
And I can tell he's excited. I have no idea what he's doing. I have no idea what he's talking about, but I can kind of hear him making his way around and people seeming to like have an energy about this. And I didn't know. I get done with a meeting a little late and I'm walking to my next meeting about five minutes late. And what Josh doesn't know is that in my head at that particular moment, I'm a little stressed and I'm trying to solve a bunch of problems that are really unsolvable at that moment. And I'm feeling kind of stressed and I'm feeling late and I'm feeling like I have a lot of important things to do in this next particular meeting. If he had paused me in that moment and been like, Ryan, real quick, can you just pause? How are you celebrating the harvest? I would have been like, go away. I would have, because I just wouldn't have known, like I wouldn't have really said that, but that side, I would just be like, no, I would. And if he'd been like, no, but like, seriously, just pause for a moment. Think about like, what's the good thing you're seeing God do right now? I'm like, dude, wrong audience, like leave, you know, like you're missing it. That's the space that I was in, in that particular instance. Josh doesn't do any of that. What Josh ends up doing is I'm walking down the hallway and all he does is he looks at me and goes, Ryan, you have to see this. I've been showing everybody, you have to see this. And I said, I'm late to a meeting. He goes, you have time for this. And I sit down and he, and he didn't say all the other stuff. All he said to me was like, can you see what I'm seeing? You have to see this. And then he pressed play. So Penelope loves to journal and she also likes to write notes and she will leave them all over the house, under her bed, on the kitchen counter, all over the place. At her old school, she was journaling that she hated school. She was saying even that she hated herself. It was really heartbreaking. It was really heartbreaking. I wasn't happy there. <laughs> when I would journal back then, I would, I would talk about school, but it wasn't in a good way. I, it wouldn't be happy notes, it'd be angry notes or mad notes. <laughs> I cried a lot at home. I just thought I have this amazing little girl who's so unhappy and this is just not the right environment for her. So I pulled her out of school and I started looking for other options. And I had a friend that recommended um, CASAS and so I decided to go on a tour. I saw kids playing on the playground and I heard about how they have an individualized curriculum and it doesn't matter where your kid is at, but the teachers love every kid where they're at and they will help them grow. And I, um, I started crying during the tour and I had always heard this quote that said, pay attention to the places that bring you to tears. And I came home and I told my husband, like, that's it. I don't care what we have to do, but we have to send her here because I think it's a place that um, they'll actually care about her and that she will um, be happy and she'll thrive and she'll be able to be a normal kid. I'm a lot happier here. <laughs> um, I have lots of really good friends. Um, I, Miss Doyle is really nice. She's a lot better than my old teacher. I really like her. Her other teacher used to yell at her and make her feel like she had to be perfect and rip up her papers and tell them they weren't good enough. And 
Mrs. Doyle is almost the opposite of that, saying you're perfect the way you are. You don't have to do everything perfect and making mistakes is okay. And you know, it's it's just a safe place for her. I feel like Casas just feels safe to her. She's safe to be herself. She doesn't have to walk on pins and needles. She's just loved the way she is. We go to church here at Casas and they were having a baptism Sunday. And so um, a few weeks ago, she was baptized on baptism Sunday. And while we were in line, my mom said, I've always wanted to be baptized and I've never been baptized. And while we were in line for her to be baptized, she inspired my mom to get baptized. This school is so much more than just an education. It's actually like a holistic approach to like raising good challenges, Penelope's always written her feelings. And so when she would journal, she was writing that she hated school and she hated herself. And here at Casas, she still journals, but now her journaling is more like, I love God. I'm so thankful for my family. I'm so thankful for my school. I love Mrs. Doyle. When I see these notes and these, and these writings in her journal, I just, I know in my heart she's in a good place. I'm a lot happier, I get really excited, I love school, getting baptized, I'm, I just love those moments, now I have those moments. I made my week. I told you a story at the beginning of this about going through a day and it all flipping upside down because one bad moment happened. I was going through a day and it all flipped upside down because that moment happened. And I wanted to share it with you. Why? Because amazing things that God is doing through multitudes of people to bless others in extraordinary ways should be shared and celebrated. Friends, we're the church. We, we have a front row seat and glasses on to see with full vivid color the beautiful things that God gets to do around us. We get to look for and pay special attention to the way that Jesus is still alive and working in extraordinary ways. We get to do that in every context we find ourselves in, every group that we're a part of, and we get to see it. And it's our job, and I mean this as a blessing in the most beautiful ways, to bear witness to that thing with one another so that those who don't have the energy to, to harvest a field, they can come and just reap the corners of yours so that the blessing can unfold. Will you please... As we continue forward, practice being a people of the harvest, being a people who celebrate the good things that God is doing, sharing more stories like what God's doing in the life of Penelope. I'm so glad that Josh didn't just go, man, that's great for the school, and then stay in the school offices. He's like, I'm going to take my laptop to the church, like I, which our offices are on top, top, opposite sides of the campus. But like, he walks over, he's like, yes, I need to show this to more people, and you all need to hear this. And in the same way, will you do this with your life? It is a beautiful gift. It's for you. It's for the person next to you, because we all need a little harvest in our lives right now. God is good. Let's pray. God, we love you. <laughs> and we thank you that you do amazing things. Oh, we do. We need that sometimes. God, I mean, it's just some of the things that we see and some of the things we experience on a personal level in our lives are just beyond that. Lord, there are moments where I'm so thankful um, that you just break in with harvest. 
that you show us that you never stop working. God, we ask you to shine brightly in the darkest of places and we ask you to open our eyes to see those things and to celebrate those. Give us wisdom and who needs to hear those moments. Give us wisdom to just see it and to say, I see what you're doing. Change maybe the way, give us pause, give us help to change our pattern. But Lord, do extraordinary things that we might lift one another up, build each other up, and that the community around us might see your goodness and your glory and that there is hope even still. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, if you're new with us today, it's awesome to have you here. I'm gonna make my way right down over to this little area over here and would love to shake your hand, just meet you and learn your name. Uh, it's, it's huge to have you here and so be our guest, but we'd love to, to meet you. For all of you guys, I hope you have an amazing holiday this next week. Stay safe, be well. We'll see you soon.